Thank you, ladies. The simple gospel. God made it simple for all to understand. And we all are, and that's a good thing because we all need the gospel. I noticed the, uh, the ladies had their retreat t-shirts on. We didn't get t-shirts this year, but we got dog tags. So if I ever die, whoever finds me will know that I attended the 2021 Guys Retreat. It's got my name on it. They'll know that Christ is enthroned on my heart. It's got the scripture theme on it. So that was a neat gift. Appreciate that. And I do want to just thank uh, God for the ministry that took place in that retreat. The guys came and camped out while you were in the air conditioning enjoying that. The guys were out there sweating like crazy, walking in, in wet grass, uh, cooling off by swimming in the pond and listening to some powerful teaching. And so it was a great kingdom moment. Um, shout out to Pate who headed that up this year, and his dad came alongside him and helped him do some heavy lifting to pull this off. appreciate it. God was very good. It went very well. I don't think anybody got hurt, maybe a bloody nose or two, and that's about it. And that's really good for the guys' retreat. <laughs> Trust me. So we are, as a church, studying the book of 2 Corinthians this year, and we are in chapter 3 today. And at the end of chapter 2, Paul was talking about the power of the gospel. And he made it known that the gospel is so powerful that in essence, yes, it brings life to those. It's a sweet aroma of life to those that will accept Christ. But there's another side of the gospel, the gospel that perhaps we don't like to think about as much. And that is, it's also the smell of death. Because there are those that will hear it and reject Christ. And so it it, it divides. The gospel is so powerful that really it divides all of humanity, everybody all over the globe into two different categories. Those who embrace God's gift of his son who died for our sins and those that do not seek God. They choose to remain the God of their own lives. And so you're thinking about how powerful the gospel is. Now, when we share it, not just out on the mission field with the Apostle Paul in the Mediterranean, but when we share it, it has the same effect. I don't know about you, but I did not hear the gospel for the first time and just immediately embrace it. I walked away from the gospel many times. And had God taken my life at that point, I would be one who rejected Christ, who would spend eternity uh, in a well-deserved punishment of hell. So Paul asks a really good question as he, as he thinks about how profound the gospel is, as he thinks about his ministry, and he's taken this message of good news for some, but bad news for others. Who is sufficient to do this? I mean, what's it take? Who am I to, or who is? who are you, or who is anybody to be a messenger of such a powerful message? Who is sufficient for these things? It's a great question as Paul reasons through this, this thought. Because some will, uh, it enables some of us just to come into sweet fellowship with our God. And that's what life is all about. That's why we're here. That's why God goes to such great lengths to save us. So that we can be in that sweet fellowship with him. And others, on the other hand, will be separated from him. 
forever. So it's an amazing, powerful thing. Now, when Paul, what you'll see this morning is Paul answers this question. It's a good question. And he answers it. The, the interesting thing about this passage is it's not at all a teaching on um, specific ministry principles. Like, how do you know if you're called to ministry and what's it look like? And it's not like Paul's saying, let me sit you down and teach you what ministry should look like. Let me teach you how you will know if you're a minister or not. What he actually has to do is defend his own ministry because it's under attack. And so he's, he's coming at it from a different angle. How would you defend ministry if you were under attack? As opposed to just without any kind of aggression against you, just teaching. Well, here's what ministry should be. So we kind of get a look at Paul defending his ministry. It's like a different angle of looking at it. He's pushed into a corner. So what does he say when his credentials, when his authority... When his message is threatened. And as he defends himself and he thinks through who he is and is he sufficient? And if, is he, if he is, where does that sufficiency come from? And what does it look like for someone to be sufficient? That's what kind of leaks out of him as he defends himself. So let's look at this passage in 2 Corinthians and we're going to look at the first uh, seven, six verses. For six verses. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, who is sufficient for these things? That word sufficient simply means who's adequate, not who's capable, um, who's competent or able. So who is it that would be competent, able, equipped to do this, to minister for God, to, to be God's instrument with the message of the gospel? Well, the bottom line, and I love bottom lines, um, is... Paul answers his own question rather quickly. Who is sufficient? Well, no one outside of God. And any sufficiency to perform any kind of ministry comes directly from God. The ministry is to God, but it's also from God. So who has made us sufficient? He says in 6, verse 6, God makes his servants competent. God has made us Sufficient. But here's a question to ask. Why would he even bring this up to begin with? Well, I mentioned it previously. When you read the Old Testament, there, there's not a church that existed that wasn't under some kind of pressure or attack. I mean, Satan is always lurking, Scripture says. And he's lurking where there's even new growth, where there's churches being planted, 
where new Christians are coming and growing from one degree of glory to the next. Satan is always lurking. And so in these churches, uh, concurrently with the, the beautiful work of God is also the work of Satan. And in this particular case, the Apostle Paul is under attack. Uh, Even like today, we see people that are in positions of authority. Others want that power. And so they'll they'll malign you. They'll they'll, uh, gossip against you. They try to bring you down. And so the Apostle Paul, there's some false teachers in here, and they're threatening his authority. See, when you threaten the messenger, you threaten the message. And that's what Paul is concerned most about. he, He can take hits for the team, for the gospel team. That's, he's not opposed to that if that's what it takes. But when you mess with the message, then he's got to stand up for himself because he really is God's messenger. And yes, God has made him an instrument of the gospel. The Apostle Paul in this book, I've mentioned it before, he actually talks more about himself than any other book. And he's a prolific writer. But this is a rare letter in that he he just talks about himself. But when he talks about himself, it's only because he has to. He doesn't want to. He's a humble guy. And he's always tactful and cautious. Like He chooses his words wisely. You can almost tell here. And so he talks about himself. He's He's talking about his ministry and his competency being under um, attack. And how interesting it is, we can look at the Bible and think, well, look at the Apostle Paul. Listen to the power of his words. Look how sold out he is to Christ. How could anybody doubt that he is anointed from God? But there were those that doubted. There were those that looked at the power and the ministry from a different angle. And so they they attacked, and we don't know exactly, um, he gives us some hints here, but we don't know exactly what they said. But they wanted, I think, to take control. And so Paul's forced to defend himself. He's forced down to, to kind of get to the bare bones of things with these um, accusations. And one of the things that he says to defend himself, and this is, of course, to the church of Corinth, is he says, um, how could you even, when you think through this attack, think about who I am and the time I spent with you. Like, are you going to let your, he spent almost almost two years there. Are you going to let someone come in And just with one juicy accusation that you may never know is true or not, because we can throw accusations like conspiracies. And what makes it a conspiracy is it's juicy enough to be believable, but you really can't prove it. But you can't disprove it, so a lot of people believe it. And he said, you're going to just kind of let this testimony undo the real life of what we've had together. And he's really careful and how he speaks about himself, because if somebody's already against you and you're going to defend your ministry, well, then they, if they're so low, stoop so low to do that, then they could also stoop so low to say, oh, so now you're prideful and boastful and conceited. Listen to him talk about his ministry or how good he is. It's like you can't win against false accusations, so to speak, because even when he speaks the truth, he has to be careful. They want to get him any way they can. So in this, we're going to look at some really practical principles. You'll see that they come out of this text. 
And I think we'll find ourselves in this one way or another. Honestly, it's for those in ministry um, that have really dedicated their lives to ministry. I mean, he's an apostle anointed by God. But it applies to all of us in that we all are disciples. And as disciples, we're all uh, commanded by God to make disciples, to share the gospel, to be a witness to the light and life of Christ. So it's, it's practical principles for those in ministry. A lot of ministry has been taking place here at New Covenant Fellowship this month. Or perhaps those who are thinking about ministry or wish to be in ministry. Or perhaps those that ought to be in ministry. And maybe you know who you are. And maybe you're, you're, you're telling God no. And he's saying yes. And you're saying no, I don't want to do this. Maybe this will speak to your heart. Or perhaps those that just need um, clarification. But I trust that you'll find something in here. So what does he say in defending himself? First of all, he talks about who he is as a person and his witness for Christ, in essence, his godliness. So if, if you're a true minister, you should have the, the essence of Christ in the sense of godliness. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you? Do we have to, he, in other words, again? So in the book of 1 Corinthians, he actually took the time to talk about his credentials. He took the time to talk about himself, where he had been, how he met Christ, and what God had been doing through him all the time. And he's saying, do I have to do this again? Especially in light of the fact that not only did I explain why I am in your midst with the message that I have, but I lived it out among you for nearly two years. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, he says, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So he's saying, I am commended by God to be in your presence, to be ministering to you as I am. God decides who are his servants. He, he makes that decision. It's his kingdom. He's the king. He decides who is going to serve him and in what capacity that we serve the Lord. So, in essence, he's saying, okay, you're hearing these accusations, but you already know me. You already know me. So don't let uh, just one fleeting comment or some new guys come into the church with their accusations. Don't let that wipe out everything that we've had between us, everything that's real and true and substantial. You saw uh, how sincere I have been in ministering to you. When I lived among you, you saw my godliness. You saw how I lived. You saw we prayed together. We fellowshiped together. We praised God together. I walked you through things. I explained Christ to you and the gospel to you and why you're here and your meaning. We cried together. We laughed together. You saw me day and night. We ate together. So, so that's who I am. You, you know the sincerity there. I, I couldn't hide the true self or my true self from you. This, this lines up. So don't let these newbies or whoever comes into town with this, this accusation uh, undo all that we have between us. So before you allow yourself to be deceived, just think about all we have. And then, so it's, it's, a, it's a, record, a rhetorical question that he asks. Do I need to do all this again? Or do I need to have uh, letters of recommendation? Is that, is that what it's going to take to 
to calm you down, to give you the assurance that you're looking for, that I am who I claim to be in verse 1. So perhaps we get a hint here that these false teachers came in and said, who is this guy? He doesn't even have letters of recommendation. And you're going to believe him over me? I have letters of recommendation. Well, letters of recommendation are play an important part in things. Um, the Apostle Paul, actually, I think it was in Acts 9, before he got saved, he had letters of recommendation from the council to abduct Christians, Damascus, and imprison them. They were official documents. And he could show them to anybody that doubted his authority. So there was a place for re- letters of recommendation. In our day and age, it's kind of like maybe a resume. It, it helps solidify who you are. Um, it, 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 it gives somewhat of a background. So you have other people that are of significance kind of vouching for you. So if you have some big names on your resume... Or you did big things, it helps you. So that's, that's the idea behind this. <clears throat> do we need to do this? I mean, if you're a pastor looking for a church and you have this resume and, and you have all these big names on it, like John Viper or R.C. Sproul signed off and has these great words to say about you or John MacArthur or whoever you look up to, I mean, that's a pretty good reference or commendation. So, but Paul says, uh, here's why this isn't important. Okay, I get the accusation. There's a place for those. But here's why this isn't important. Because I've already done the work. It's not like I'm trying to apply for the job, so to speak. I've already done it. And you are my fruit. Like, you're my letter of recommendation. You are the result of what I've already been doing. Your hearts have been changed. You've been influenced. You've been affected by the truths that God is using me as an instrument to speak to you. So why would you need to go and look at a recommendation again when you see the real thing? You don't need the paper when you have the real deal in front of you. It's, it's a living reputation. You know, I, I live what would ever be on that paper anyway. I've lived it out before you. And so... That's my commendation. That's my credentials here. Actually, you are living proof that I am a minister of God. And then second, we find another principle here looking for kingdom fruit. So you're a recommendation. It kind of ties in with the the previous point. Um, Written on our hearts to be known and read by all as opposed to things that are written on paper or, he says, tablets of stone. So another mark of sufficient ministry is that there's some fruit. I always get nervous, honestly, when you talk about ministry and demanding fruit. Because when we hear fruit, if you're in any... Like if, if you are serving God in any capacity and I say, where's the fruit? It's really kind of threatening, isn't it? It's threatening, like, yeah, where's the fruit? Like, I don't have these... Dramatic testimonies or, yeah, a thousand people got saved at Bible study last week and there was only 10 that showed up. It was incredible. I don't have those testimonies. But we have to think about fruit as not just the actual apple. So even in the parable of Jesus, you have the sower. 
See, casting the seeds, that's kingdom fruit. You are serving God. You are submitting to God. You're being obedient to God. That's kingdom fruit. So let's not, let's not, um, uh, not consider the whole package here. It's the whole thing. Even those that water. And then, you know, a lot of times people serve and minister and they do all the legwork and the foundational work. And one person comes after all that years of work, shares the gospel one time and they get it. And they kind of get the, the apple, so to speak, or the, the reward there. But it's everything. So keep that in mind. But he is saying, look, you can see the effects of the gospel. It's real. It's true. You don't have to look at the paper. Look at your own. Look in the mirror for crying out loud. Just look. You are not the same person that you were. When I came into this place, Corinth, and remember, Corinth is one of the wickedest cities and here's the Apostle Paul, this godly man sold out to Christ who has this calling on his life. And he's just, he just wants to, everybody to know the good news. Even this city that would be so intimidating to minister in. And when, in essence, he could say, when I got here, there was no church. Nobody was worshiping Christ, or at least not congregationally. And now look, we have an established church and and Christ is growing in you. You're singing your praise to him. You know new worship songs that you didn't know before. You know truths. You know what life is about now from a biblical perspective. None of this was here before I got here. You are my proof. You're my fruit. It's a power, powerful, powerful thing to be able to say. So there, there's as we obey the Lord in our ministry, there's this... A, same aroma of the gospel, but there's gospel influence. Sometimes we may not see it. And we always want to see very plain and clear fruit. We don't always get to see that. But, but believe that our faithfulness just to obey what God tells us to do, to live as God tells us to live, that's an aroma. That is having an influence. It's the salt and light. That's having an influence on those around us. But we have to obey we have to live. We have to trust. We can't keep it, hide it under a bushel, so to speak, or that influence will not be there. Our labor in the Lord is not in vain. And it's a good truth to think about as we think about a lot of the, the retreats that are going on in the ministry that's taking place here. It's just little simple things that, that pay big dividends. You just don't always see them. Right at that particular moment. But whatever happens in the kingdom, it's because somebody obeyed God. Somebody said, okay, I'm going to do this. Some people love to, to obey God and, and serve Him in different ministry capacities. They can't wait. You've got to hold them back. And others reluctantly do it. But obedience is obedience. And the only way I heard the gospel is because somebody obeyed Christ and shared the gospel with me. And so when we think about the truths of God, the kingdom expands through our love for God and our obedience to God. I'll go to this person. I'll pray for this person. I'll love this person that was once my enemy. So there is the fruit. And then third, we look for God's calling. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. Our sufficiency is from 
God. So Paul has a confidence in God. By the way, I was thinking about Paul's conversion. And I thought, well, who led him to Christ? Christ led him to Christ, right? He was not warmed up to God in any way. God just grabbed him, blinded him, and in blinding him, opened the eyes of his heart. And when he did that, he also called him into a specific kind of ministry here. So he's aware of that and his confidence, his competency comes in the fact of God's calling on his life. You got his godliness, his lifestyle, the kingdom fruit, and then this is what God has called me to do. He has a strong sense of purpose and knowing that God has done this in his life. And this compels him. In 1 Corinthians 9... Uh, 16, he says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So he has a sense of obligation. It's, it's, God's called me to do this. Of course I have to do this. It's not based on circumstances. It's not based on sunny weather or air conditioning. It's based on the fact that God called me, saved me and called me to do this. I have to do it. It's an obligation. Have you ever sensed that in your salvation experience? Have you ever sensed that in your life? That there are just certain things that maybe God didn't call others to do, but you have this sense of oughtness. I have to do this because the spirit of the living God is speaking to me. And as I read it in his word, I got to do this. I think it's a healthy sign of assurance of salvation. It's it's sometimes it's an annoying feeling like I got to do this. But it's like this great wake-up call and evidence that, yes, you have to do this because God wants to use this, use you in this capacity. This sense of oughtness. And what we can't afford to do as believers is to go through our, our lives without any sense that we have any accountability to God to serve Him in any way. I mean, Scripture tells us when you get saved and you come into the kingdom, you are well equipped by your heavenly father. He gives you spiritual gifts. Why do we have these spiritual gifts? Well, to use them. He wants, he he gives us machinery, he gives us tools, he gives us spiritual equipment to make a difference in the kingdom of God. And I hope that if you have a spiritual gift that you're aware of, that you have this sense of, "I, I, I need to be doing this. There might be lots of opportunities during these retreats where God will speak to your heart. This is your gift. This is you. This is your time. You need to do this. You're the one. And that's how the Apostle Paul felt about his calling and his salvation. Woe to me if I don't do it. And I know that there are people in here that have certain ministries in a church and out parachurch ministries and things. And I know that this is true of you. That it's when you minister, it's not be, always because the great results that you get, the great reward that you get. You do it because, woe to me if I don't. I love God and he saved me. And I know that the leaders of this church, it's, it's the same thing. We've discussed it. The present leaders, the past leaders that we have. It's not like we lead the church because, well, we're the most educated or because, well, we have all this free time that you don't have. 
uh, or, or were necessarily the most competent. That's not always it. Those things come into play. But if you ask anyone that served in this church before as a leader, they will say, it was God's calling all my life. And see, that makes the difference often between those that quit and those that don't. Because when you feel this oughtness and woe unto me, you don't just walk out from hardship. You don't just walk away. You realize, well, boy, that stinks or that hurt and this is hard. And I really, really, everything in me wants to walk away, but I can't. Why? Well, because God called me to do this. How do you argue with that? It's a powerful, powerful thing. And this is also important to understand our calling, to just get into God's word and say, okay, maybe it's not 10 things or, or 20 things, but what's, what's the one thing? Because it brings very needed clarity to our lives. Because if we don't know for sure if we're called to, to serve God in this way, the first sign of hardship, we're gone. We'll just talk ourselves right out of it. And I love how the Apostle Paul always goes back to his salvation and his calling. Look, when I got saved, God spoke this into my life and I have to live it. I have to do this. And so when he's getting stoned or when he was shipwrecked or when all these pesky false teachers make his job miserable. He doesn't say, uh... I guess God didn't call me to this because surely, surely if it's from a good God, it wouldn't entail such suffering. Maybe I should find something else to do. It just encourages him and motivates him. He always gets back up and goes to fulfill this calling. So think about it. You know, if we, we don't, God doesn't want us in this place of, am I sure or not? Because we're not as effective that way. Don't when you when you grab the plow, one of the guys retreats themes years ago, you grab the plow, you don't keep looking back. This is God in your life. Go for it. Dig in through good and through bad. He was a one track person, and that's where his confidence came from. He was a smart guy, he was an educated guy, but what does he say? It's not where my confidence comes from or my calling. It comes from God. And what does he do with this intelligence? He preaches Christ and Christ crucified. He's one track. He's one focus. This is what God has called me to do. And this is what I ought to do. And woe be unto me if I do not do it. So what ought you to be doing in this season of your life? Just think about that. The spirit of the God, the spirit of the living God will speak to you. I am confident he because he does it in my life and he tells us he will do that. And he'll compel us to serve him in certain ways. So I just want to challenge you. What is it? What is it? Who's who's hearing rhetorically? I ask who's hearing God saying you need to be doing this for me. Do it in the confidence of your calling in Christ. And then lastly, we see this God reliance. We're not sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. So those that realize they're serving the Lord, there might be evident fruit. The fruit may not be evident. 
But what they realize is, I bring what I have to the table, but anything that happens, it's because of God. You know, he's asked me to serve in this capacity. He knows who I am. He knows my heart better than I know myself. But what I know is that anything I do, I do it dependent upon God. The Apostle Paul's not depending on his degrees or his education, sitting under the feet of very wise people. His ministry, it's, it's a God reliance so that when we aren't impressive in and of ourselves, does that mean we can't accomplish something for God? No. A lot of the people that have accomplished great things for God from a human perspective were very, very unimpressive. So our confidence is always in Christ. And it's a healthy thing for really a believer in ministry to realize, you know what? Without Christ, I'm nothing. And I know that our culture doesn't like us to, to see ourselves in that. We, we are taught and trained and brainwashed to see ourselves as something spectacular with or without God. But we're not. You take Christ out of this equation right here. What do we have this morning? It's a group of people. Asking each other, how was your week? That's it. I'm nothing without Christ. You're nothing without Christ. We don't have a ministry. We don't have a hope. We don't have good news. We don't have meaning and purpose when you take Christ out of this. He is everything. And because he's everything, then we should put all of our being onto that everything and trust him for everything. That's Paul's point. You take Christ out. We have nothing. So all of our adequacy, all of our sufficiency comes from God. And what I do, I will do for that all-sufficient God. So look for godliness. Look, pray for kingdom fruit. Be sure and confident in God's calling in your life and that God reliance. And I just pray that God would use this little section of inspired Holy Scripture to enable us to, to step up in our exaltation, to step up in our edifying one another, and to step up in evangelizing the world and reconciling the lost to God through Jesus Christ. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning.